Hi, Leon Alexander here, and welcome to episode seven of the Unintentional Podcast, uh, where I interview Simmer. Now, I spoke to Simmer for the first time in about 15 years, uh, a couple of months ago, when we did our Bristol Techno Explosion episode, and it rekindled the bromance between us both. So I thought I'd bring him back and spend a bit more time talking about him and talking about our involvement with Shimmy, the night that we were part of uh, Midnighters in Bristol, uh, and how that shaped the rest of our lives and our careers and our interest in music. Um, appreciate you all tuning in and listening and uh, sharing part of this experience. So thank you for being there. And uh, don't touch that dial. Right. Hey, mate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad. Good, mate. Yeah. Busy, Good. busy, busy day. Good to see you. How's the um? How's all the COVID at Cornwall? Um, a bit mental uh, by all accounts. I think numbers are jumping. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of um. That's the same everywhere. I think everyone's just going for it, aren't they? So. Yeah. As we've got to, we've got to get back to normal, haven't we? So we have really. Events are going ahead. I think Boardmasters is getting the blame this week. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, something has to get the blame for it, doesn't it? Yeah, so, I think this week they're picking on Boardmasters. Yeah, but it's all yeah. right. I, you know, I'm okay. I'm, I'm double down. So, and we just go crack on, haven't we? Yeah, we have, mate. We have. Yeah. We have. Well, it's good to see you. Yeah, um. Day. So we did that Bristol Techno Explosion one. I was because I interviewed Nick for this the other day, Nick Warren. And the problem with going in, it's nice to go in. I never have any idea what I'm going to talk about. I don't have any set questions. I just say a thing and then see where it leads. And that's great. Yeah. But then about four days later, you think, oh, we should have probably talked about that. We should probably talked about this. Mm, yeah, mate. And so this is a nice opportunity for you and me to connect on all things shimmy, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, uh, and uh, you were talking about maybe talking a bit more about the music. We've not really spoken about the music we were playing and what we were playing. And I have in my hand a piece of paper. <laughs> Much research of four tracks. Yeah, well, um, I say that because um, I have nothing online. <laughs> <laughs> um, I literally have done absolutely zero prep. I'm just very busy. That's all right. It's fine. Um, just chatting now. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Because what? Well, we'll start. Because, uh, what? There's a few things I was thinking about, and I figure this is the best way to start. Yeah. Um, ben Duckworth. Yeah. Who was a guy I used to work in the Hybrid Vaults with, and yeah. whose brothers I'd been in bands with, had the idea of starting a night that played. Uh, it was kind of based on the Jam and Spoon record, Follow Me, which, if you remember, that started at about 130-something and then sped up halfway through to be about 100 and... Yeah. I think it's 165 it gets to in the end. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was sort of the template. We, that was the beginning of it. And so off we went, uh, and I refused to play ball and played hip-hop all night, I seem to recall, and that was the first time I'd ever been behind a pair of decks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Tahani was there, and Paul Crossman was there. But Paul was just kind of there on a technical level at the time. Yes, sir. And obviously he evolved into becoming Fluid and a live act that we featured quite a bit. And um, Tahani was sort of the driving, organising force at the time. Um, I was sort of in the third year of my degree, working at Hybrid Vaults and trying to work out what I was going to do in my life. Yeah. Um, and Ben was bringing all the trance. And somewhere within a process of about eight weeks, maybe 10 weeks. Not long at all, was it? It wasn't long. That then all changed and Ben was gone. And I can remember how Stuart got involved only because Stuart and Tihani used to go to school together. So when Stuart arrived in Bristol, they met each other again on the street. And then mm. Stewie got involved with T on different bits and pieces. But I don't recall how you and Chloe got involved. That's basically where I'm headed with this. Yeah, I, um, what was I doing? So I was doing the festival sort of circuit. Yeah, because you were working doing <clears throat> festivals and clothing, weren't you? Yeah, we are kind of like market trading. Yeah. They all kind of started with a, with a head shop called, that was called Ethnic Head that took me 
basically met met people through that that then took on you know through markets around the universities that then got to um going to festivals and doing festivals yeah well not going to festivals i'd already been, been going to festivals but starting to work at festivals yeah um you know i mean 1986 was the first time i went to glastonbury but that was as, yeah. a, as a pure young punter that was the year the Cure played, I think. Was that the year they headlined for the first time? I think John Martin was on the main stage. I remember that doing okay. solid yeah. air. Yeah. And but I, we were all just back in those days. You could just park up, so we were just parked right by the by the pyramid stage and just sitting yeah. there, you know, with all the access. Anyway, yeah. so we, I then met Chloe at a festival. Yeah, I was living living in Cheltenham. And the closest I've been, what I'd been doing was working with Mike Cosford from yes. Fantasia House DJ and still yes. nowadays. Um, doing a night, he was doing a local Shake Your Booty, which was at the Cafe Tobacco in Cheltenham. And I got involved helping with that, and getting involved, sort of thing, when putting up like um, doing lighting and doing like visuals and projections, which then. And I was also coming to Bristol to do things, and I was going out. I actually went to Club Loco when it was the Tropic. It's the Tropics, wasn't it? Yeah, the Tropic Club, and it was. We used to go up there, and I used to go to do like the, the reggae nights there, big, the big dub nights there. So I was in and out of Bristol quite a bit, and I met Tahani. And yeah, I, I met Tahani first, and the, our common ground was um, doing club environments. Yeah. That's yes, I'd forgotten about that. Yes, so I was doing that in Cheltenham, and then met up with her, and I was all then you know with her management skills and artistic flair, it all kind of just hooked up. And then yeah, you were living later. I, I, I remember the first time with you I was up at the top. Was it Cranbrook Road? The, well, yeah, Cromwell Road. We were living. Cromwell. We were in a shared house, Cromwell Road, with Martin Shields and Pete Bailey. Oh, that's yeah. Right. I remember coming up there and Harney was doing some artwork in the, in the lounge and it was everywhere because she was doing like quite a big piece on the floor or something for, for an event. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you weren't, I don't think you were there long then. You moved on from then, didn't you? And, and you weren't yeah, there. Yeah, we got our own place in Belmont after that, but I think we were still at Cromwell then, yeah. Yeah. And the rest is really history at that it point. It is history. Because actually that I couldn't remember is how we hooked up in the, first place and the thing about Tahani was she was such a driving force that mm -hmm. things just escalated really quickly and she'd set up that business because um, we I'd put parties on with her already where she'd done all the you know I bought the DJs and she did the design kind of thing yeah um, and I think she just yeah she just sort of took control and started driving it super quickly and then you were there, yeah. And I think you DJed, you'd already had experience of DJing at that point, had you, I think? No, no really, my experience at that point, which is fairly recently, I'm on a, I'm on a, there's a group on Facebook, like Docu Free Party from the 90s, and there's a, they just, people posting up their things from years ago. And Hauling in Gloucestershire came up, that's the first proper rave that I went to. And uh, like I, I was just getting into it. It was ninety, like really nineteen ninety. So eighty nine was I was kind of just about hearing it. But by nineteen ninety, I was kind of getting there, and I was into it. I was going to parties. But um, yeah, I didn't actually play on the decks. My first proper gig in a, in a venue was at the farm on a Sunday night. Because that's um, another thing I felt we didn't cover at all was the role of the farm in all this. <laughs> Because we used to go down the farm, the farm and the Bristol brew house yeah. would Eventually have us a lot, wouldn't they? Yeah. 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 We did that quite a bit, didn't we? Yeah. Um, I remember playing the farm yeah. later and it was bananas in the farm. It was absolutely it was crazy. One, the first one, Leon, for me was Box. Yeah. Box. That was New Year's Eve 94. Yeah, that, that, that was the first time it really took, you know, control of me. Was that, that was yeah. Really because I was yeah. a couple of years just learning to DJ and doing clubs, club night, you know, sort of becoming a DJ sort of thing. Yeah. In the background. And then that box night when we were all together doing that. Was big that was memory. crazy. <laughs> we set the decks up on the on the landing, wasn't it, above the stairs? Yeah, and yeah on the double stairs. Yeah. yeah it was just this crazy, huge house that Paul was living in that 
that. That was bonkers. And then all this year, people arrived, and it was bananas. Because really, I mean, it was quite a short period, wasn't it? It, it was, was a super short period. It did go really quick. Yeah. Because the other thing I was thinking about when I was saying, oh, I can't remember why or how Shimmy suddenly got popular from having been empty. But actually, I then thought about it because we had Box. Yeah. We had another Shimmy. And I think by February, we were doing the Backroom Lakota. That's right. That's right. Um, suddenly had a And that was pretty yeah. full because yeah. it was in solid state sort of dying days. So no one wanted to be in the back room and the front room everyone's in the back room and then by about march the the mandrake nights were fairly buzzing weren't they yeah absolutely absolutely and then you know the whole scene was just going crazy wasn't it yeah yeah literally it was all about it was just all about the music and the partying at that yeah 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. and you were still doing your festival clothing thing weren't you which is why i remember now we decided to take that summer off because you were too busy yeah, I think I had my last... You had loads yeah. of work on, I think. Yeah, and we just said, oh, I'll just leave it. It was bloody... There's not mentioned any names there, but it was bloody Dreams of Narnia, wasn't it? Dreams Is that the Narnia. thing where we ended up with all the clothes and we decided to sell them at Ashton Court? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, the, yeah. that was the one where we didn't get paid and we'd done all the work. So, um, and you had all... The, they were like, they had all the clothing in storage and I just put just thing at Ashton Court and we it was like, cl- like clothes from Goa and stuff that we just undercut all the other stalls we sold it and we got our money back and we sold we, it and got our money back and I delivered the what was left of the stock back to the owners in London with minus you know our our yeah. greed monies yeah so everyone got paid and had a great weekend and it was right next to the dance tent wasn't it yeah, the t- yeah. It was t- on the dance yeah. tent right? yeah I'll never forget it because we'd had a long stint at Glastonbury and we'd been running around left, right and centre and tired and we were still setting up that stall and they were sound checking that main stage right next to our stall. It almost blew our tent over, didn't it? First thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that. So just for people listening, that, that Dreams in Narnia thing was essentially a clothing marquee right by the main stage that actually was mask. It was what it was a rave masquerading as a clothing store, basically, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, Kieran the Herbalizer. Remember him? Yes, I do remember him. Such an exciting DJ back then. He was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And so they were selling clothes during the day, and then, um, and then doing parties at night. And the security arrived at some point. I think on the final night to shut it down. Yeah. Well, um, I know. Yeah. There's a story that I tell about this that we were it was because during the day we were playing like little dub vibes weren't we and yeah we were, one thing we were not allowed to do was have a rave in a tent basically no we weren't was it, was, it, yeah. it was an 80 foot square marquee with a bloody great big sound system in it wasn't it I mean, <laughs> what, what else was going to happen <laughs> um, um, and they, even they the, the stall didn't really do much money did it but they, they, no. there was a little cafe doing teas and coffees that did quite well yeah uh, but we were, it was the afternoon, uh, I think it was Saturday. We'd been, we'd had a big party the night before, like the proper, the first big one, you know, where it had gone. Mm. Um, and then during the day we had some reggae playing and then we played some, we were playing some sort of t- like techno reggae type of stuff. And Bjork was doing a ballad set on the enemy stage. Mm-hmm. right in front of us, And that's the day we got shut down. Yeah. The security turned up in there, and they they literally hooked up the generator and, and and took it away. So suddenly we didn't have any power. Right. Okay. Um, but because that back then that was that that was the sort of time at Glastonbury where, and big festivals where you know people were being stopped from taking sound systems, wasn't it? Was yeah, hundred percent. Everyone's Someone it. was shot that year. Yeah, I remember that. And then Beastie Boys were on at one point. I remember I'm going to see the Beastie Boys. And I remember someone got shot. There was a load of trouble with like market traders, like food vendors and drug dealers and all sorts of stuff going on. We it was managed- just before Glastonbury sort of cleaned up, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. We we managed to get another generator and run on the Saturday night after, you know, we basically... Oh, do we? Okay. Yeah, because the, um, the, we were kind of connected to about five food stalls next to us. So, and they all suddenly didn't have power as well. So there was a big, another big debate with security and they let us run on the Saturday night because... There's loud bands on the main stage, so they were just let us run with a limit. Right. Okay. Luckily, we 
friends in high places with with generators. With generators, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. remember at one point all the security turning up in cars, mm. and I'm there with Rob Smith of all people. I'm not sure I what he was doing. I think he, uh, I think we were trying to get them to play. At, I think we were. Yeah, and then and then we had like a stall outside where we were selling beadies, you know, those little cigarette things and some jewellery and stuff. Yeah. And God knows what. And they just sat there Rob Smith and, uh, and then all the security turned up, this is my recollection of it, with, you know, cars just left the lights on shining at us. That's when mm. we finished by then. Mm. Um, and we just went for a walk and sat by the stone circles and watched all the security surround the, uh, surround the tent. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they, 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 essentially they got away with it, the guys that were doing it. We, I mean, yeah. We were for them, weren't we? Yeah. But they didn't pay us, so we took their stock and sold it at Ashton Court. Yeah. But we were, we were, you know, we, I, I took the rest of what we didn't sell back to them. Yeah, and, back to them. And, 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 it was quite yeah. a sketchy meeting, I've got to say. I mean, I was dealing with, with these dudes in London, and I had to turn up at their house with what I had left of their stock and say, I've got the money. <laughs> yeah. ah. <laughs> Never had to do that again. <laughs> no, I can imagine that was quite, yeah. Yeah, but you know that was pre-playing, really, wasn't it? So we didn't play. We weren't on. Shimmy didn't get a slot that year. No, because we weren't really. I don't know. That we. I don't know whether we started doing it then yet. I can't remember. Well, I think that's the year we took the summer off. I think that was the year. So we'd already started with the Mandrake stuff and all that. And you must have had a play on that, on that sound system, did you or not? On the main stage. No, the Dreams of Narnia thing. Oh. No, I didn't, no. Did no, you not? I was, no. I was like basically running around. I was the, the fixer, you know what I mean? I was yeah. done. Yeah. Um, and I, there was obviously, there was more emphasis on the VIP area of that tent than there was on anything. Yeah, there was on anything else. That's very yeah. correct. So and Tahani was, must have been working there because in those days I would just make appearances as Tahani's boyfriend. That was essentially my role. That was, you were. Uh, and I was just sort of freeloading, <laughs> not doing anything. Just it, basically, the boys, they were amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was fully working and it was full on, but um, that was a crazy, crazy summer. Um, and then yeah. off we went, and then we, then we went and did locos on a Wednesday, basically. And that's that was just that was the that was when it just solidified into a proper thing. Yeah, well, Paul was really going for his live stuff, wasn't he? Yeah. Like, he was really getting at it then with fluid and fluid. Yeah. Was thing, yeah. yeah. Um, so he, that, Stuart that, was DJing on CDs and we were all kind of looking at him going, Oh, yeah. Your you know. first CDs with the turn with the, you know, jog wheel on. It was yeah. CD1, yeah. Ones or whatever they were. CDJ, Mark one, I think. Yeah. Whatever they were. Yeah. It was, it was, remember Nick, Nick CD. Nick, I remember. Yeah. Nick Clark. Yeah. So Lucy in contact or on Facebook yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Ideal. Yeah. I mean, he was, he yeah. was, he was Stuart's saviour, wasn't he? Because Stuart didn't want to go down the vinyl route. He was really into yeah. the technology side of things. Yeah. And ended up going, and going that way. And look what it, you know, he used to get so much flack for that back then, didn't he? So they? much. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So much. We had, had to come and take the decks out, put new decks in, and just like, oh, and then they, would, <laughs> they had to be totally level and, you know, understandably. Yeah. yeah. Um, everyone, you know, it, it took us not everybody embraced it i mean these some guy playing cds and it was like you know in a club it was kind of weird how the technology thing still sort of goes on today but it was always a big faff but it was always worth it because he was really bloody good yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah i couldn't even entertain having on those at that point and now look no. well. yeah no. exactly yeah 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 100% yeah. 100% yeah, I never fully got into it properly. It's just another thing to have to learn to well, be not yeah, to, you know. I think we, you know, what we talked about last time, but, you know, we were vinyl junkies at the point. We were just literally searching for vinyl, wasn't it? it was All the time. About, the it was about getting All the, the time, 100%. And, you know, and new 100%. stuff. 100%, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I certainly, uh, uh, you know, I will, I don't want to repeat myself, but going back to listening to the Ian Wilkie interview and talking about Time is Right Records and, you know, that that era where, he, you know, Ian's got the records. And Ian, if I, uh, it couldn't have happened for me at that time if Ian hadn't given me those few white labels that he gave me. No. And then again. 
No. Wasn't obviously I was nowhere up the packing order. I didn't I had to, you know, get in there. But after a while I, st- I started to get fed, you know, early releases for me and the good shit. The good shit. To <laughs> 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 this day, I've, you know, access. You know what I mean? I mean, we got it, it's gotta be mentioned. I, to this day, my my copy of that is a white label that Ian gave me. Um, do you know what I mean? So and I wouldn't have had that. There's no yeah. way I would have had that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Which, if I remember rightly, um, Laurent Garnier played back to back with another copy on the main stage at Lakota. I thought that was Fabi Parra. It might have been Laurent Garnier. Yeah, I can't remember now. But yeah, somebody did, and they had two copies on the go. Yeah, you ran into the back rooms. I was just finishing last set in the back room. You were like, have you got access? And I was like, I was like, yeah, I've just got this. I was like, bloody not scratch on it. So I'd already played it three times like in that night. Yeah. And then ran off with it gave it to him and he did that drop mix in the in the breakdown yeah. for about 20 <laughs> and it was amazing it was so good <laughs> and i had to as soon as the record came out i got i bought a copy of the you know the release yeah so i had so i had two copies with me at all times yeah, yeah. and i used to do that one now and again yeah yeah <laughs> it's a great one wasn't it which meant for me that i could never buy it because that's you know, that once one of us had some it, the other one went, okay, well, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction now. That's it. And I remember... So silly, isn't it? When I got a job at Lakota, when I started at Lakota, um, my whole relationship with Timo Mars stems from the fact that and first day at Lakota in the office, I was tidying up. And on the floor, underneath the chair, I found Die Herzplatte, which is Timo Mars and Gary D's, mm. you know, trance banger. Yeah, that big one. Um, and I took it home, listened to it, phoned him up. That's how I started my relationship with Timo. But I just thought, no one's fucking got this. No one has got this record. And you and I were doing the battering of Lakota that week. Yeah, yeah. And you had it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Nobody played it. <laughs> I was like, wait, how could that be? Yeah, oh, mate. <laughs> uh, so then we both went off on different missions to try and find our own sound and find our own. And we both built our own set of relationships with different producers yeah. and labels and shops and all the rest of it, didn't we? Yeah. But ultimately, we were delivering the shimmy sound, which was, you know. Yeah, which was like our, that. Our dance yeah. floor. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we all had a little niche, didn't we? I mean, the the, the phrase springs to mind is um, two men, two record boxes, one haircut. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) Because I've got the flyer, Leon, with that on it, of you and me on the bill, just you and me for four hours, because we only opened for four hours. Um, Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> we used to religiously shave our hair as well, didn't we? Shave our heads. Yeah, yeah. Stewie had the clippers, didn't he? I think. Yeah, didn't we just go around there on a Thursday? And, and we used to go around to Stewie's for a haircut before a shimmy or something. Yeah, do each other's head and you know talk talk techno and talk, talk music. Yeah. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, that and then. Yeah. That, and of course, for um, formaldehyde records, you know the one. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, the one with the Smurf on it. Yeah, the formaldehyde records, mate. You gave oh, a copy of that. You yeah. start relationship with, with Timo, and all this was happening, and you had these things coming through, and you had a few copies of that. So the formaldehyde came came from because they licensed the Fly Baby record that I put out on Worldwide Records a couple of years previously. Yeah, so you had the stuff, didn't you? Yeah, and so, and Fly Baby was Eels, uh, Shocker, Nathan, that was it, I think, in Mm -hmm. terms of making music. And then Grayson was part of the DJ thing, Grayson Shipley. But yeah, so it's through that, and then they started sending me records, and there was one with a Smurf on it. There should be a bunch of those. That's what I've got to find. If we're going to put any music on the show, I'm going to go and dig that up and find out what it was called because I don't remember what it was called. I'll, I'll, look, I'll look for it as well. I think I know where it yeah. is. I've, I've definitely little, got it somewhere. We've got this little um, on the records that, that I might be able to locate it. <laughs> um, and I sort of, yeah, 
I kind of I was determined to go to that to that German thing, and that was partly due to the fact also because the relationship between a lot of big DJs in Dakota was so fractured that they wouldn't play. Mm. I knew I had to go and find a new path. Yeah. So I just found out loads of Germans, and um, of which Tebow was obviously one. You know. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um, there, isn't it? Yeah, I'm starting to bring them over. Um, and then ninety, so ninety four, so September ninety four till whatever. I feel like summer ninety five. We may not have done any club nights either, but I think we did do other bits and pieces, didn't we? We did Ashton Court, and we did. Which year did we do New Year's Eve at Trinity? So that was ninety six. No, ninety seven. That was because then well, there was a. We did in we did a New Year's Eve. We did two lots of New Year's Eve, didn't we? Because there was well, Shimmy did two lots of New Year's Eve. Loco one with the bus trip to Yate. That's there was the Loco one with the bus trip to Yate, <laughs> which was I'd that's, forgotten about that, that as well. <laughs> and it was in some oh, house, and it had a big fireplace. The farmhouse. It had a drape over the fireplace. And the DJ booth was in front of the fireplace, right. a bit like here now, I guess, but it was a massive fireplace. Mm-hmm. And it was dark, and I was quite refreshed. It was amazing. And I leant back thinking there was a wall behind me. And I fell into the fireplace. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. And do you remember Acid Seb? Yeah, of course. Of course I do, yeah. Yeah. Because he was there lambasting me the whole time, and he had tabs of acid that he was handing to people to yeah. test whether they'd take them off him or not, and they turn out to be fake, thankfully. Oh, dear. Um, uh, yeah, I'd forgotten that that's right. We did. did we do something in town before that and then got the bus up after? We, we did a loco, and then the bus at 4 o'clock picked us up on Stokes Croft and with, yes. with like a load of, load of ravers from the club. I think yes. we a bus, and we drove to Yate, literally yes. had a free party in a bus. Yeah. <laughs> piled out and uh, went and did our thing for a few hours. I mean, I, I yeah. Dennis the Easy Group was, was there playing. I remember he was there. There's two rooms, I think. It was the downstairs, big room downstairs, and then a, a room upstairs. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was very busy, wasn't it? It was like 500 people there. Yeah, I think so. At a real high-energy party. Just this massive farmhouse, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was nice to... You know, we got to do our club night, but then we also got to go to a free party and play. So, and it was later on; it was becoming daylight, you know. And it's when yeah, it yeah, definitely. At a party, um, yeah. Sat in the car during daylight, wondering how we were going to get back at some point. Yeah, I think we got. The, did we get the bus back? Or did we get? I think that we missed the bus. I think we may have missed the bus, or the bus driver had more than enough, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we all thought we were the Rolling Stones coming in on our tour bus. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then suddenly felt quite out of place at this free party if we got off the coach. We were... I think we had our own little private VIP, didn't we? I feel I got this feeling that... Area. There was an area that we sort of... Yeah. We sort of, you know, just took to ourselves yeah. when we were there. But I remember playing and I remember, look, because it was quite a low ceiling and I think they'd taken some walls out and I remember looking out, the crowd was absolutely bouncing there was probably only a few little lights. It was quite dark. The ceiling was low and it was just moving because the party in the, in the, in the room upstairs was just as mad. We were bloody lucky to get out of there with that bloody ceiling coming yeah, in. Yeah, whole, totally. whole house was just, it was amazing. It was good. It was a good party because it was important. Yeah, it was good. If you get asked but, to play at a party, you know, after you've already played, it's always a pleasure, isn't it? Yeah get the main gig out of the way and then go to an after party. You usually... I wonder who's, I wonder who's that was. That party. Nobody may know. We will never know. We'll never remember. Maybe someone remembers. Yeah, maybe. Someone must remember. Yeah. And then I think it was Trinity the following years, wasn't it? Yeah. So what, then I did a Temptation New Year's Eve at Loco and Shimmy did a one at Trinity the same night, I think. And you had Staircase and and we had JP, did we? Or was it a local night? Got a feeling we had JP. Was it JP from Dance Valley Crew? Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, you were quite tight with them, weren't you? 
Yeah, well, we've been, we've been we've done start doing Amsterdam damage, haven't we? The, the bus tour. Well, that was the thing because Amsterdam damage was the other one because that was confusing as hell for me yeah. because I'd got involved in some political wranglings that I wasn't really totally aware of, which involved doing Amsterdam damage, and I still have the set for that. Someone sent me my set about five years ago, saying, "Can I identify any of it?" Um, mm. But it's not a set; it's all individual tracks that they'd cut up yeah and then then I ended up playing the Roxy at eight in the morning yeah to yeah. absolutely nobody at all yeah it's like the year that Billy Nasty dropped his records in the water they're drying them all off with a hairdryer was yeah. that something else I'm not sure I remember that if I probably would have remembered that the first Amsterdamage we did was obviously the, uh, is it Milk Vague wasn't it it was Milky yeah Vag, uh, Amsterdam and we were in the back room, the the which I can't remember, the industrial it's the more industrial room basically. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, you know, you you've got Steve Rackmad and all that, the likes of that sort of sound going on in there. And but that was really good. The energy was amazing, and the decks were up on a like a, a bit like Lakota, where you're up in a little yeah yeah pit, looking down yeah. And that was a good one. Obviously, the rest of the trip is complete blur. Because you only mm. really remember the giggy bits. Mm. <laughs> um, so the following year, we played in the front room in the Mac. I think it was called the Max Room because it was sponsored by Pepsi Max. And it had the big Martin audio and all the lights, and it was very smooth in there. Do you know what I mean? It was like Dutch, um, really nice. And JP was playing um, in there, and we played. I think I definitely you you played, didn't you? I don't know whether I I can't remember because I think. Because we reached a point around 96 where we sort of went our separate ways. Um, and I sort of, because I had Lakota going on as well. Um, but that first Amsterdam, which was, was a milestone for me because was, that was the point that I realised I wanted to stop smoking draw. Because I was so paranoid and so confused and I had no idea what the hell was going on. Mm. I was got involved in this wrangling with Roxy Club and then managed to piss off everyone at Meltbeg without realising it and didn't really know. And I realised that was the point I thought, you know what, I should probably knock this on the head because it's confusing the life out of me. Yeah, well, generally it's quite a confusing one, isn't it? Yeah, and so, and so I did. Yeah. Uh, I have not looked back, not looked back. No. Um, it just, I wasn't, I'm not built for that particular sideline at all. No. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it was quite prevalent in what we were doing in the early days, and certainly was for, you know, um, yeah, it was like a shoestring gig as well, wasn't it? Because it was, we did it with, um, we did it with um, Ben, Ben from the magazine Time, and out of hand, out of hand, that was it. It was like an out of hand shimmy ounce of damage tour, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Hey, fact fans. Leon here. I'm just interrupting myself and Simmer to say that we did a bit of research on Amsterdam and uh, kind of worked it out. So it turns out that the first Amsterdam was also with Random Access and um, also, crucially, with Tom Harding, who was a Bristol DJ who put himself in the enviable position of being one of the biggest DJs in Holland, or certainly in Amsterdam, maybe even the whole of Holland, and he was also playing. Uh, so we worked that out and then a guy called Morgan hit me up on SoundCloud to say he had loads of photos of Amsterdam hundreds in fact um, so maybe we'll get to see them online at some point soon anyway just wanted to keep you in the loop and uh, here's some more and there were some right characters on those coaches mother of god <laughs> they were it was great it was a good crew that came and all the, all the right people came didn't they and, Things you uh, do when you're young, it's like just get a cake sandwich down, no one slept. No, no get a slept. coffee shop, go to the bar, go to a club, do another club, do yeah. this, do that, yeah. get back yeah. on the coach. We were, we were staying in, um, in a hostel on um, Wormerstrat, which is yeah. sort of right one over from the red light there, isn't it? it was like, yeah. Which I, I, you know, I was going to Amsterdam quite often and I love that that street because the mm. memory of that, like being down there for that first time, I was like suddenly in Amsterdam, it was on the noisiest street in the whole city. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad you remember all these things. So I, I don't remember yeah, that. Yeah, and, I, and I was smoking weed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 
you know. But yeah, Amsterdam, I can just think and trying to think timeline, but I think I've got a feeling, I don't know whether that JP did come back to do the New Year's Eve at Trinity. I think he came because we did a few Trinities. I think he played one of them. Yeah. But I feel it wasn't very busy. Right. Because there were that that's kind of what was happening, wasn't it? There was that golden era, wasn't there, in those sort of, you know, early years in that middle section. And then it the, the sort of scene became very busy in Bristol, didn't it? And there's yeah. Sort of yeah. nights and we're all totally oversubscribed. We're not trying to, you know, to you know, do the same nights, but that was the, just the nature of it, wasn't it? Everyone, we had to talk yeah. ourselves, wasn't it? You know, because we're all yeah. sort of doing, there's so many nights to go to and so many DJs to see. Um, I think I think we did one of the Trinities there and it wasn't very busy. I think we ended up with like 200 people in there and we were looking for a right. thousand, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. I think so naturally things start to change anyway, didn't they? Yeah, no, they you know, did. Had to, totally. de- had to be developed in some way or, you know, yeah. we had to develop ourselves in some way. Yeah, yeah, of course. How we did? Yes, um, I'm I, The whole thing with Billy Nash dropping his records in the in the canal must have been a different Amsterdam trip, and he ended up having to get a hairdryer and spread them all out on the floor of whatever club we were playing in. He was playing in, someone was playing in, right. with a hairdryer and try and dry them all out. I thought that was that one. Yeah, I know. It was Queen's Day, and they were transporting. That's people right. on the canal because the streets were so full. Yeah, that's right. Like speed boats. But I thought that was Amsterdam, which maybe it wasn't. I think we. I guess we. we you know, it could be. I um, mean, you always end up with tend up to have different odd memories when you visit Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> Jody yeah. was there. Was Jody wasn't that at Amsterdam? Or was he? I don't think he was. No. Feeling it. I got a feeling it was just us lot. I, I could be wrong. I think you're probably right. I, I think they were that. probably. I think that was a second out of hand trip. Mm. Maybe, yeah. Um, they were doing quite well with that, weren't they? That was yeah. Great. They were doing really well with that. Um, yeah, it was. It uh, used to work, didn't it? That was. There was a good service. I mean, some people did like like to hand out their own flyers, didn't they? But it was good being in that pack. Yeah, you know, it did work. And it I think we ended up doing both. Then we you kind of had to. We do it now, and the missile door, right? Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Um, isn't it? Maybe don't. Do we do flyers nowadays? Paper flyers, I suppose, in the in the cities. Then, yeah. I mean, I, I've you know, not really uh, running around Bristol with a bucket of wallpaper paste and a load of Ray One you know, posters on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trying try not to go over your mates' posters for the same yeah, that's the thing. And then you get Bear and Bino to do it when you and um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and they sort of controlled the market, and they yeah. knew what was you know. Yeah. Then it wasn't super reliable. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, yeah. Bino's a quite famous film director nowadays and video maker. Yeah, good man. Um, good man. But uh, yeah, you used to drop it around their place in St. Paul's, and you know, there's a rolls. And then we just to jump back then, we switched from Wednesdays to Saturdays. We got Saturdays, didn't we, uh, at some point at Loco, mm-hmm. monthly Saturdays. And I think that's when there were times in the heresy side when we finished i think wasn't there right. and then that's when we sort of started to move into guests a bit we felt like we needed to sort of bring well, in by that point the competition was just growing wasn't it you know there yeah. were more nights that were guests down um and yeah we were we, we you know we'd gone from being just strictly us lot to yeah with occasional friends that were there <laughs> yeah um to actually headliners wasn't it yeah into so. trying to Trying to compete, build it into the brand. I think. I think ultimately, Leon, dare I say, that was probably its decline right there. You know, well, it probably was because I think then, it, then you're kind of in a, <laughs> you know, you're in a different space then because then you're trying to compete with other nights with other names and it becomes mm. problematic. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I was already doing it with Lakota anyway, so I kind of, you know, what I loved about, you know, what I loved about. I used to live in Fishponds, didn't you? And I yeah. did my degree up at St. Matthias campus in Fishponds. It doesn't exist anymore. Right. And after I'd had my lectures, I used to come to your house and you'd show me how to mix. And that's right. You'd, you'd on, on those belts. decks. On belts. Yeah, on belts. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's yeah. Don't move too too much. Don't dance. No. Bloody no. Across the no, I think you had quite, 
loose floorboards as well, didn't it? So when you moved about, the attic, kind of... it was the attic room, wasn't it? And we yeah. saw, it was Alex's window for all the smoke. That's there. right. And because uh, we were obviously up there with Marlboroughs. Um, <laughs> and the neighbours used to come around all the time, didn't they, and complain about the t- transport? Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those were good days. And learning on those decks, I mean, crikey, it used to be amazing when we used to go out and play. Yeah. Like next. <laughs> yeah. And Nigel Wheeler lent me some decks as well yeah. at some point. Uh, because there was a point, the only time that I was playing on decks was when I was actually in front of people in a club, you know. Yeah, no practice time. <laughs> they used to practice at Lakota a lot later on, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 that exactly room. right, yeah. That yeah, room totally. half the rug on. Yeah, yeah totally. On the monitors. Had decks in Belmont Road at some point, but I don't think the neighbours were super delighted. It's just flats from it. Yeah, that was a problem. I mean, we were into noisy, loud music, and back then we weren't really. I mean, in the early days, you certainly weren't worried about what the neighbours thought. No, wasn't a big concern. <laughs> yeah. Didn't cross my mind with that. <laughs> yeah, when you get older, you're kind of so, mm, a bit loud over there. Yeah, I'm doing it down. <laughs> I pick my I pick my days to have a mix. If it's really windy and wet, which you know in the winter time we can have weeks of just really high winds. And yeah. Wet. That I just don't. Know, That's the time. Just like, bash yeah. it out, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's weather yeah. like it's calm and sunny now. You know, you can do pin drop out there. No, totally, mate. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So, other than access, what were your sort of key records? Then, do you think? Well. um I was into, I was sort of... In the early days. It was, it was the early days, it was house music. It was like, yeah. Darren, like from a listening point oh, of view. Oh, yeah, you were, you were, weren't you? That's right, yeah. yes. From a listening point of view, sort of getting into it, I used to go to Bob's Full House up in London a lot. I put the, um, which was Smoking Joe's Night. Yeah. Smoking Joe's like Deep Garage, isn't it? You know, she's, you know, that was what she was yeah. doing. Yeah. Up in the, up in the Bristol Academy, um, for you and they were really good nights and it was kind of technical as in it was technotic wasn't it but it was it was deep yeah garage yeah, yeah. I was going into that crossover of, of like the garage house thing that's what got me going really um, I can't remember from back then without going through things I can't really remember no. back then but because they were all just like odd tracks but um, but really it, it it then became trance it was trance that was the gateway for yeah my, my current yeah. Or, you know for yeah because yeah. totally. totally. yeah. it was you know the german sort of trance really was just pumping and different and no, nobody really you know it's back to where we were at the beginning with malheim and Tino, yeah yeah universal prime breaks um you know alfaras faris and all you know all those big german yeah 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 you know, Katie Smith. Um, you know what I mean. I mean that I do. later on, really. But yeah, it was trance, and then uh, from then, I suppose one of my favourite records is Acid Eyeful. Eyeful. Wow, such a phenomenal piece. It brings tears to my eyes. If I was to yeah. put out, I'd start blowing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It hits yeah. on the right notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just an encompassing trance record. Yeah. Um, so I've got things like that. I mean, there's, I suppose before that, Gat to Core was a big record for me. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing tune. Um, used to quite like going to see, used to go to the Ministry a little bit because I, I was, we were going to London to party. So I met a little crew up there and we used to go to London and to the Ministry now and again and be like Tony Humphreys nights and things like that because that was on the deeper sort of side. But then again, we got into the trance days and it was the rest sort of behind me then. Yeah. I didn't really, I don't really own that many house music records or, or garage records. Put it that way. No. I've got, like, you know, if you look at my collection, I've probably got about an inch and a half of garage. Yeah. You know. That's that for you. Yeah, this was, <laughs> this was, you know, 19, sort of 92 onwards. Yeah. yeah. And then it, then it was... I know Platypus was a big label for me back then. You know, yeah. we were producing good stuff. I used to love the the um, junk project and all that the stuff they used to put out. 
Time Unlimited, obviously. Yeah, great. cool. Time Unlimited. Great, <laughs> great label. Um, yeah. That. Number 15, mate. That was the one. Was that the one, was it? Yeah, Time Unlimited 15. I have to go on Discogs and look that up then, yeah. Oh, you'll know it straight away. It's the one yeah. with the, the big breakdown and off she goes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so good. Um, yeah. I mean, I was... Bit Sasha was going down, I suppose, before all that as well. I mean, I'm just sort of trying to reminisce now. And even even later on, the progressive stuff like Digweed stuff, and I was still into that. That was still I still listen to that bit of that now, to be honest, because that is a bit like it used to be. Yeah. With that sort of progressive trance feel. If you yeah, know yeah, that. yeah. Yeah. Um and then it was the Bayers and all that lot started, yeah. out, didn't they? And like um Carl Craig. Swedes all arrived, didn't they? Harry Leckerbush and Harry Leckerbush, yeah, and Thomas yeah. Crone, yeah, um, they all started turning up. Um, yeah, remember Bayer, Bayer at Lakota for the yeah. first time when he was about eighteen, wasn't he? Yeah, he a young boy. Um, but we all we all ramped those early drum codes, didn't we? It was yeah, yeah, great label. Yeah. So I'm so terrible, mate. I really should I really should spend some more time with my head in the records. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. We've got a lot going on, haven't we? Actual life and stuff. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. You know. Um, um, and there was, we were just sent stuff, and I remember the excitement of getting onto promo mailing lists. Yeah, it was great. And, um, you know, walking around with loads of record mailers under our arm, just to make sure everybody noticed we were walking around with loads of record uh, mailers under our arm, you know. Hoping to bump into somebody down at the pickle <laughs> boxes. <laughs> you know what I mean? How many do you get? How many, oh, yeah, I've got yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So nice talking to someone who remembers yeah, more of it than I do. And um I just I don't know, just I, my memory isn't great for some reason. Uh and um there's so much stuff there. There's so many, you know, little moments and so many you know, we were like a little family for a while, a little troop, and we ran around the six of us. Yeah, and indeed. when I said in the in the other interview about how it sort of ran itself, I felt bad after that because it clearly didn't run itself. Clearly, Chloe worked herself, uh, you know, put the hours in to make it work. You know, yeah. box office money, passes, laminates, you yeah. know, stickers, yeah. uh, you know, flyers. Yeah. You know, her and T were really on that, and um, and I did my usual kind of bloke thing. Right, it's a run itself. I just turned up and played records, and it's a run itself. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't run itself. No, I uh, apologise. Uh, not picked up on that yet. Maybe they haven't heard it. But uh, you know, we were a good little team, and it ran well for a while. You know, yeah. and um, we had our own thing going on, our own style going on, our own sound going on. Yeah, and um, and we just we were just you know tenacious enough to make it work and to stick with it. So that, you know, it did work. It did work. And we were in a lucky position. Like, you know, this whole thing is about Bristol. I mean, Bristol was just that surrounded. Everybody was trying to do something amazing with music in their own little way, weren't they? Yeah. You know? So that little niche, that little time that we were in. Yeah. It was great. Perfect. Yeah. It's definitely about a bit of luck and a bit of having good timing. That's where the luck definitely comes in is being there at the right time to do whatever happens to be the right thing at that time yeah, yeah. um and i'm not sure it was ever, it's ever really been equaled in terms of you know that vibe but maybe i'm just looking at it with you know rose tinted glasses on um but it was strong you know it was strong i mean i, I do get i mean I, I play at some amazing gigs down there and where the crowd energy you know the the effort that's gone into the room with sound and and the light. Yeah. Not we're not talking you know ten thousand people on the dance floor. You know we're talking party sizes five hundred, six hundred, eight hundred people. Yeah. Lucky. Um, but you know where everything's been put in and those vibes are exactly the same as they were back in the day. Mm. And that's why I love it. Love doing it down there because it yeah it, it is like that family vibe. Of, yeah setting up the party and everyone getting involved and everyone pulling their way and, you know, the music comes, the people come and it's just like that, like it used to be. That I'm lucky enough. Yeah. You know, again, you do a gig and it might not be like that, but if it's the right crew and everyone gets together and does it, the vibe the is... Right. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah. Like we, I just played a party a couple of weeks ago, almost gathering, which was one, it was like a day, midday till about two in the morning. The main okay. station two. And we, we played in the techno room. I did a takeover from nine to 11. It was amazing. Obviously, nobody had been out for 18 months. No. Um, so we were all there, you know, new new friends and old friends, you know what I mean? It was, the, the vibe was amazing, in it, but it was like that, like it used to be. It was just like, oh my God, it's like we've never done this. Mm. To be back on a rig, or, or even just dancing to a rig in the other room, you know? <laughs> um, it was fantastic. It really yeah. So those vibes do still exist, don't they? Those yeah, they totally exist. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. We yeah. searched for those things, didn't we, back then? We yeah. were trying to make those things happen. Yeah, and it's still happening in, yeah. in the same way. Yeah, is- yeah. Totally. I did something on Saturday with Nick in Hertfordshire in a forest. Lush. Fantastic. Incredible. That's amazing. Um, and um, the energy was ridiculous and. Super well organized, super friendly. Mm-hmm. It's very, very pleasant. Very yeah. pleasant, you know. Well, long, um, long may it last, mate. Indeed, it may, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's nice for us to have that outlet when we need it. Yeah. yeah. You know, 100%. And I will, I, I will, I, I, I've really got to put together some sort of retro mix, I think, you know, because I've got to dig out the tracks, really. Yeah. Um, well, that's track. what Duncan wanted us to do, to select a handful of tracks. But mm-hmm. whereas you're on vinyl, whereas, which might make it more difficult, but it, I don't know if you, if you want to choose some bits. Well, I'm on, I'm on CDs as well. I've got CDJs, you know, but it's... Uh, uh, and we could put a digital mix together. Yeah. Um, and do it mm-hmm. like as a bonus thing. I can, I can pretty much gather, I would imagine. I mean, I've got a conversion deck anyway, so if I find the vinyl, I can right. stick it the computer, so it's not a problem. And obviously, Casper's next to two formulas and trance got me in there for me. But, um, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. I mean, I still know I like to put a mix out now and again. I usually, uh, usually, if you've got gigs coming out, always, you know, you're looking around the records, you always end up doing a bit of mix anyway, you know what I mean? So, um, um lovely, mate. Well, let's stay in touch. And you, you think yeah, I'm coming to Bristol at some point, aren't you? Yeah, we are. We're actually, I've got to speak to Helen about that because we were actually due to go through Bristol on the, third, the 9th of September, but I've got a feeling this when this event might be coming up. So, oh, right, okay. I think well, I'll let you know about that. If not, it'll be later. Yeah, that's true. I'd love to see you at some point. It's all <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, it's been one of those years, but it'd be lovely to see you, mate, and have a pint. And, um, Indeed, Leon. Yeah, maybe you've got the decks up at some point, and we'll have a little, you know, a little, a little play. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Look forward to yeah. dealing with you more, mate. Yeah, for sure, mate. It's great Good to, to see you, you again. Good to have you back in my life. Yeah, mate. You know it. It makes sense. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Well done, brother. All the best, man. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye bye.